Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! And we are now addressed by the living Lord through his living word. Speaking of the high priest. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in their midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with its fingers seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. Now verse 29, and it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for gathering us here in these spaces. On this Saturday, this Christmas Eve, Father, draw us to Bethlehem by your Spirit. Draw us to Calvary, where Jesus died and rose again. Thank you, O Lord, that Jesus, you welcome us by grace, by what you've done on the cross for us. Whether we are in these spaces this morning, considering ourselves to be quite near to you or far from you, would we know your welcome, your peace, and your joy in this season. Illumine this word of God to us. We pray, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, right off the bat, everybody, I have a confession. There have been many, many years when I have fought this particular temptation, but it's a temptation that afflicts preachers that preach year after year after year, during the Advent season, and this is the year that I'm giving in. I couldn't take it anymore, so I am beginning a Christmas sermon by quoting Ricky Bobby. It's happening right now. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Some of you know that movie. It's a big, dumb comedy starring Will Ferrell, and at one point during the movie, he's sitting with his family, 
and he prays. He prays to Jesus, not just any Jesus, but particular, he's praying, saying grace to baby Jesus, and not, quote-unquote, all of those other Jesuses. And he says this. I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus, or teenage Jesus, or bearded Jesus, or whoever you want. That's a funny scene. And I understand that for some Christian sensibilities, that might seem a little bit of an irreverent joke. I get it. And if you ask me in a big-picture way, is it possible for art to be irreverent towards the Christian story, even blasphemous? Yes, of course. But at least for my own money, when I think about that Ricky Bobby joke, it's so obviously absurd and tongue-in-cheek that I'm okay with it, although it's okay if your mileage varies. But from my perspective, it's funny because it's true. And much has been written about, both at the popular level and at the scholarly level, particularly in our American context, the figure of Jesus over the centuries here is uniquely malleable. There are so many different versions or flavors of Jesus that are proclaimed and followed in our weird and wacky country. So you have Jesus of all kinds of political stripes. You have a Jesus of lots of different skin tones. And by and large, I think a lot of people would say, well, we like the Christmas Jesus the best. Who doesn't like a baby? There are two categories of people when it comes to babies, people that love babies and people that know you should love babies and are too embarrassed to say that I don't love babies because that would make you a bad person. Everybody, more or less, loves babies, right? And even with some of our modern mythologies, babies figure so prominently as a powerful symbol of hope. Star Wars. There is a new hope because the Skywalker line persists. Or Superman. Baby Cal-El on the planet Krypton, a dying planet, is the only survivor that baby is jettisoned through space, lands on Earth, and gives hope to our planet. Kal-El grows up. Clark Kent, and Superman. Everybody loves a baby. And so we find hope in the Christmas story as we consider baby Jesus anew. There's hope, but it's a lonely hope at the same time. When it comes to the Christmas season, we've been saying here on Sunday mornings, our Advent devotionals by different leaders in the church have talked about this at various points as well. They're on our YouTube page. If you missed them, they're all really good. Christmas can be a very sad season. And so for you, if in the midst of joy and happiness and tinsel and presence this holiday season, you felt a little lowly or more, you felt down, downtrodden, depressed, journey again to the manger. Go to the little town of Bethlehem and find hope again. Even if your year 2022 was really not that great, was actually really pretty rotten. And if you think forward to 2023 and its same sign, it might not be much better. Find hope in Jesus Christ come into the world. Go to the manger. But then I'll add this. Go to the manger, but don't stay there. You need more, we need more, than just a baby Jesus. We need a Jesus as well that grew up, that died, and rose again. 
This is what the Apostle Paul says at one point in his letters. One of my favorite chapters in all of the Pauline letters or epistles from the Apostle is 1 Corinthians, the first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 15, where Paul summarizes in a big picture way what all of this Christianity stuff is about. And this is what he says. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, saying this is the bottom line. Paul, what's your take on what Christianity is about? That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's the main thing. Christ crucified and resurrected. Paul goes on later in that chapter and asks rhetorically, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Which means, if we only have baby Jesus without crucifixion and resurrection, in the language of Paul, our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. We are of all people most to be pitied. We need Jesus. And all of the aspects of his person, we've been talking here in this Advent season, if you've been tracking with us either here in the room or watching online, the plan all along, Messiah and Pentateuch, and we've been seeing from all of these ancient scriptures that look ahead to Jesus, that it actually makes sense if we consider Jesus according to his offices of prophet and priest and king. So earlier this December, we've been thinking about Jesus as king. Last week, we had Jesus as prophet, and then this week we have Jesus as our high priest. What does that mean? Well, especially in the olden days, priests would make sacrifices of different kinds, but in this case, Jesus as our high priest doesn't make sacrifices outside of himself, but he sacrifices himself. He is the sacrifice who died on the cross for our sins, and this is the Jesus that we need as we think through the ancient Hebrew Day of Atonement. So two parts from here as we think about the Day of Atonement from Leviticus chapter 16. Day of Atonement, what it means for Jesus, and then also what it means for us. So yeah, Good Friday is important, Easter is important, and really that's, we can only rest in Christmas when we also have Good Friday and Easter. But yeah, in popular imagination, I think a lot of people would say for the Christian church, its Super Bowl is around Christmas time. It's the big event. It's the big deal. That may be so. And in Judaism, in Jewish religion, the same may be said, arguably at least, for the Day of Atonement. Now, some of you listening may have heard of the Day of Atonement before, maybe not. But I imagine that more of you, even if you haven't heard of Day of Atonement, you've heard of what Day of Atonement actually is originally in Hebrew, namely... Yom Kippur. That's Day of Atonement. Yom in Hebrew is day. Kippur is atonement. And here in Leviticus chapter 16, we have the origin of this ancient ceremony that was practiced for so many generations. The original occasion of this Day of Atonement is that sons of the first priest Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, offered strange fire to the Lord and lost their lives as a result. This is how the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, is purified all over again. And so once a year, you have a high priest 
who goes into the very sacred center of the temple, only able to be entered once a year by only the high priest to make atonement for the sins of all of God's ancient people, the Israelites. Atonement, that's a big fancy theological word, and it means something like this. What is atonement? A substitutionary sacrifice that absorbs and averts the wrath of God for sin so that two parties that were otherwise hostile towards one another can be made at one, at one mint, atonement. Atonement is a substitutionary sacrifice that absorbs and diverts the wrath of God so that two parties that were otherwise hostile towards one another can be made at one again. And so on this day of atonement, you have a bull and a ram that is the sacrifices for the priests, and then also two goats for the people of Israel. One of those goats is sacrificed. The other is prayed over and sent into the woods. That's the secret origin story of the scapegoat that comes from Leviticus in the Day of Atonement. Let's take a closer look. Into the Holy of Holies we go. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, this is verse 15, that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, that's inside the curtain, the very Holy of Holies, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. And it's the blood itself that is the center of all of the sacrifice. Verse 18. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. And shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with its finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. So that you get the all clean sign on the day of atonement for God's people, the Israelites. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sin. So that's just a little bit about the context and what the Day of Atonement is. And I think for many of us, and if you're here this morning or watching online, you're not sure where you are with spirituality, or you think, oh, maybe that's not true, or it's not for me. You might wonder, and I get this. You might think, that's interesting from an ancient historical perspective, all that Day of Atonement stuff, sacrificing to God, wrath for sin, all that stuff. But we have moved beyond. And the thinking there might be, we've at least moved beyond in the literal sense, and symbolically, we don't need all of that religious mumbo-jumbo anymore. I actually did some looking this week, and I'm not an expert on modern Judaism. But as far as I could tell, even within the Jewish tradition today, I don't know of any group of Judaism or Jewish sect that practices the Day of Atonement in this literal sense of all of these sacrifices. I don't, I don't think that happens. But then even more than that, we can think, let's just move on. We don't need all of this religious stuff anymore. But I would come back and say, is it really that simple after all? Have we? Can we truly move on? A fascinating article was written recently by a Muslim scholar named Shadi Hamid, and he was talking about, among other things in this article, that even though for secularities both on the right and on the left that have moved beyond God, we don't believe in God anymore, that's for another time period, what do you know? In a lot of ways, secular ideologies 
retain, resuscitate, mirror, mimic religious language. Maybe it's true after all. Hamid says this, and this is one of our reflection quotes. Newly ascendant American ideologies have to fill the vacuum where religion once was. Many take religious notions such as original sin, atonement, ritual, and excommunication and repurpose them for secular ends. Think about it. In the conversations about American history and enslavement over the past few years, enslavement in our nation's history has been called America's original sin. Conversations about reparations use atonement grammars. In cancel culture, whether it's the right canceling somebody on the left or vice versa, what is that but a form of excommunication? We're still doing it. And at the end of the day, the question for us to wrestle with, in part, is this one. Is guilt real or not? Is guilt real or not? What do we do with it? Let's just move beyond guiltiness for what we've done wrong, guiltiness for sin before a holy God. But guilt stays with us, and we can't shake it. In terms of psychology, starting with Sigmund Freud, one of the main themes of psychiatric practice is helping people to wrestle through their guilt. So whether it's psychologically or socially, as we wrestle with guilt of a culture, or something like legally, guilt is a thing. A judge will not be a judge very long who says, I'm tired of rendering guilty verdicts. Nobody's guilty anymore. That would hurt people's feelings. Guilt is a real concept. It's not that easy to shake. What do you, what do I do with it? And truly, what we need is a priest, namely Jesus. When I was reading all of those verses from Leviticus just a few minutes ago, you might have been thinking, this is going to be the strangest Christmas Eve sermon or Christmas sermon that I've ever heard. What is going to happen when Jim tries to unpack all of these verses that seem very, very ancient and esoteric? Well, the whole point of all of this high priest and day of atonement stuff is that Jesus, as our high priest, fulfills all of it. Jesus fulfills all of it. And everything that the Day of Atonement was pointing towards is fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and resurrected. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, that's what the author says. The Day of Atonement is fulfilled in this Christ. I'll read you just a bit from it. Speaking of the Day of Atonement, the author of Hebrews says in chapter 9, But into the Holy of Holies only the high priest goes, and he but once a year... And not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify us? He is our high priest for all time. And let me just say one more thing about Leviticus. It is a long book with a lot of laws. I do encourage you, if you've never tried to read through the Bible in a year, January is coming. Why don't you try? So I recommend that. I don't recommend that you read straight through because 
Leviticus is a really difficult book, and many people who say, I'm going to read straight through the Bible, get lost in Leviticus. It's a tough book. I recommend reading plans. I use the English Standard Version's Digging Deep into the Bible plan every year that gives you four different short readings every day from different parts of the Bible, so you don't get bogged down in any one. But if and when you wrestle through Leviticus, for all of the esotericism there, just remember Jesus. Jesus fulfills all of this stuff. He is our high priest. So day of atonement, what it means for Jesus, and now also what it means for us. So the last paragraph of our sermon text for this morning, if we get the origin of the day of atonement, it is codified in that last paragraph. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work. You see Every year you do this, and then the end of the chapter, and this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded. Two encouragements, and then we'll wrap up. What does it mean for us? As we seek to come to this Jesus by faith, repent and rest. Repent and rest. And this repentance idea comes from the second part of verse 29, talking about affliction. What this means here is that the ancient Israelites, in light of the Day of Atonement, are called to quote-unquote afflict themselves, namely deprive themselves of erstwhile goods, so that they can focus in on and turn back towards the living Lord. Would we do the same? Turn to Jesus in this new year in light of his great love and his sacrifice for all of us. In what ways, with your mind, with your body, with your heart, with your behaviors, might you turn in even more to Jesus Christ? Maybe that's taking steps of faith anew, or you haven't in a long time. Time to get back into the Jesus saddle and say, this will be who I am. It's going to be a new year. Make it a better you. And one of the ways that you can be a better you in the new year is to know that you are forgiven in Jesus Christ. That's great. It's in our name for crying out loud. Why is there an I at the end of liberty? Not because we want to be weird, but it's Latin for free people. For the Liberty Communion of Churches, I'm spearheading a project in the new year where we're pre-writing three sermons that are going to be preached in all of the Liberty Churches throughout our communion, the 10 or 11 congregations, and as part of it, I'm editing sermon manuscripts that were transcribed, and I'm doing a lot of Control-F because every time Liberty Church, the transcribers came back and said, well, that's a Y. I'm like, no. Control-F, right cursor, backspace, I. Control-F, right cursor, backspace, I. Over and over again. In Jesus Christ, we can be free. And then also, we can rest. Verse 30. It is, a, it is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. Rest. Rest in this Jesus. Including in crazy, busy, scattered holiday seasons like this one, like today. Rest in Jesus. We live in a period of anxiety and affliction in multiple ways. Rest in Jesus. We wonder. Will everything be okay? But the good news is that in Jesus Christ, the answer to that is actually yes. For you. And ultimately for our world. Rest. I love Christmas songs. 
I love all kinds of Christmas songs. Last night at the Anger household, for example, I was listening to a Bruce Springsteen bootleg that you've probably never heard, a 2003 holiday show from the boss at Asbury Park, lots of Christmas standards. It was amazing. I can burn a CD of it for you if you want. But I love church Christmas songs the best. I think it was last week that we sang Away in the Manger, and I don't want to burst your bubble here, but there's a line in Away in the Manger. Love the song, but there's at least a line that I think is wrong. Sorry about that. We're not going to change it because it's, you know, it's an old war horse. Can, can you think of the line that probably is not technically correct? The little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I don't know a baby that doesn't cry, but it's a great song. And Silent Night, I love that we're going to sing at the end of the service, and if you're watching online, we're going to let you go before that point, but I'd encourage you at home, find a candle, sing the song, do it today, do it tomorrow when you worship Jesus on Christmas morning. Silent Night, have you ever been in a crowded barn full of animals or in a sheep pen and it's so quiet that you can hear a pin drop? Me neither. Probably wasn't completely silent. But I love the line about Jesus sleeping in heavenly peace. And so he did. And heavenly peace stayed with Jesus throughout his life because he is the prince of heaven. Because he came. Because he died. Because he rose again. As you receive him by faith, this heavenly peace, Jesus shares with you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.